Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study, the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. My name is Monica T., and I am a recovered compulsive to overeater. And today is Monday, March 12, 2018. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 36. We will be reading the first two paragraphs beginning with, Yet He Got Drunk Again. Today's readers are the 12 Steps, K.B., the 12 Traditions, Polly B. Our text readers for today are Craig F., Carmela G., Russ M., our newcomer greeter is Kathy G., and the host for the second hour is Lisa H. And the reference number for yesterday, Sunday, March 11th, the special edition is 11,150, 11150. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask KB if if she'll read the 12 steps of OA for us, please. Thank you, Monica and, and Team Monday. This is KB to read the 12 steps. Honored to read the 12 steps. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation 
to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, KB. I will now ask Polly B. to read the 12 Traditions of OA for us. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, everyone. This is Polly B. Number one, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Number two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Sixth, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media's communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personality. Thank you. Thank you, Polly B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. I will be timing, and at three, I will say time. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinent requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. 
Today, we are resuming our study of the big book. We are in the chapter more about alcoholism. We are on page 36. We will be reading the first two paragraphs that begin, Yet he got drunk again. And I will ask Craig F. if he will do that for us, please. Good morning, Monica. Thank you. Um, I am Craig F., recovered compulsive overeater in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Page 36, yet he got drunk again. We ask him to tell us exactly how it happened. This is his story. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember I felt irritated that I had to be a salesman for a concern I once owned. I had a few words with the boss, but nothing serious. Then I decided to drive into the country and see one of my prospects for a car. On the way, I felt hungry, so I stopped at a roadside place where they have a bar. I had no intention of drinking. I just thought I would get a sandwich. I also had the notion that I might find a customer for a car at this place, which was familiar for I'd been going to it for years. I'd eaten there many times during the months I was sober. I sat down at a table and ordered a sandwich and a glass of milk. Still no thought of drinking. I ordered another sandwich and decided to have another glass of milk. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. I ordered a whiskey and poured it into the milk. I vaguely sensed I was, being, I was not being any too smart but felt reassured as I was taking the whiskey on a full stomach. The experiment went so well, I ordered another whiskey and poured it into more milk. That didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another. Um, There's a lot of things to see here for me in this uh, reading. The uh, first thing is that uh, uh, he'd been sober for months. it says, and uh, it says during the months he was sober, um, you know, uh, he, uh, 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 you know, all had gone well for a time. It said in the last paragraph, uh, uh, he, he uh, uh, had made a beginning, um, but uh, but he drank again. So if he'd been sober for months and he'd made a beginning, uh, one thing it tells us is that he was away from the the allergy, that uh, uh, this wasn't, uh, the first drink anyway, wasn't an allergic reaction. And, uh, you know, uh, he said that he had no thought of drinking when he went in there. So it really wasn't the obsession either, it doesn't seem to me, that uh, he what didn't go in there white-knuckling it, um, you know. Uh, he, he did go into a bar to, to get a sandwich, um, you know, and when there were other choices, perhaps where he could have gone, but he says he had no thought, of, still no thought of drinking. But what it does tell us is that he had a buildup of emotion, that uh, he was irritated about having to work at a place he used to own, and he'd had words with the boss, and and uh, you know we could make something out of the fact that it was a Tuesday morning, and most people's work week starts on Monday, but I don't know about car salesmen. Um, but you know, he had a buildup of emotion and, and, uh, so what this is, is the mental blank spot, uh, uh, I would think that he, that he had, that he had this mental blank spot that he, 
had forgotten uh, what taking the first drink would would do. It, it also appears to me he may be cross addicted. He may be one of us. He had uh, two sandwiches and two glasses of milk, and then he orders more milk. So with the alcohol, so. Um, but nonetheless, he uh, he had that mental obsession, and the only the only defense I have against that I mean not the mental obsession, the mental blank spot. The only defense I have against the mental blank spot is uh, uh, the spiritual way of life, the daily disciplines of a spiritual way of life. And and you know when it says in the paragraph before he failed to enlarge his spiritual life, uh, you know that's that's the key. He. He's not uh, uh, doing those daily disciplines that improving his conscious contact with his higher power, the the working with others, the uh, uh, the the self, the constant self evaluation that that uh, and and amends that leads us to uh, to that uh, spiritual fitness that that keeps us out of the disease. That that is that's what's meant, I think to uh, uh, fight this mental blank spot, to fight this, this forgetter that, that we have, that, uh, uh, we, uh, that, we, that tells us we could take that first compulsive bite. And uh, so anyway, with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Craig F. And, for those, and we are on page 36, the first two paragraphs. And who would like to share this morning? Madam. Larry, Larry K. Rita K. Melissa C. Rita. Melissa. Oh. Madam, Madam. Gotcha, Madam. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, this is what I've got. I got Madam. I got Harlan G. I got Larry K. My little pencil is just a flying here this morning. Rita K. Melissa C. I think it is. And Vasa. Oh, let's go with that. So, Madam, you're up. And then Harlan. Thank you, Monica, for your service. Good morning, everyone. This is Sam Emma, the Postal of Edith from New Jersey. Yeah, um, this, this whole per- first paragraph, um, my sponsor had me circle all the times he used the word I. I came to work on Tuesday morning. I remember. I felt irritated. I had to be a salesman. How much ego is in this first paragraph? The guy is totally self, he's totally self, and self, self, not self-satisfied. Um, He's into himself so much. He can't think of anything else but himself. He's into the self. And then um, he came to work on Tuesday morning. What happened to Monday? I thought people usually go to work from Monday through Friday. That's another thing I was wondering. Yeah. Of course, if I was his boss, I'd be upset. Like, what's going on? Where were you? He's supposed to appear on Monday. So he just decided to come in on Tuesday morning after a binge. And um, I love the premeditation. He knew this place had a bar in it where he was going. So it's like the premeditation leading into his first drink. He was already gone. The mental obsession already took him. Because why, why in the God's green earth would he go to this place that has a bar in it where he knows he, he's struggling and he knows he's going to drink? So, and it's suddenly this thought crossed my mind. It was already in his mind. It just happened to cross his mind at that moment, you know. He was already taking a drink and way before this. It's amazing how, um, how his mind was already long gone before he even walked into that cafe, that bar. Thank you. Thank you, Matt M. Harlan G., it's your turn, and then it'll be Larry K. Thank you, Monica. I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. Boy, there was, everything was really said very, very beautifully that the word or the pronoun I appears in the first paragraph 19 times 
and seven times in the second paragraph, the word or the pronoun I appears. And what's going on here for Jim? Jim has been told on the previous uh, page, on page 35, they says, we told him what we knew of alcoholism. What did they tell him? They told him of the allergy of the body and the twist of the mind. Then it says on page 35, last paragraph, and the answer we had found, step two, the spiritual awakening. He made a beginning. So he did the first three steps because the step three is described not only as a decision but as a beginning, and then his family gets reassembled, but he failed to enlarge his spiritual life. And how many thousands of times have I seen people, how many times have I done this where we say, yeah, I've done the first three steps, I've done the first three steps, and then we stop. Well, let's take a look at the result of stopping. Yet he got drunk again. Why? Because the first three steps in and of themselves are just conclusions of the mind. And what we see here is we see the buildup of everyday normal human emotion. Comes to work on Tuesday, he had some words with the boss, Emotions are building up. Emotions are building up. And he has been in an asylum. He has been tortured. He has been humiliated by his drinking, remembering always that this is not a chapter about people who were drunk and couldn't get sober. This is a chapter of people who had some periods of sobriety and went back into the booze, went back into the drink. No thought of drinking. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind that if I were to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk, it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. Now this is plain insanity. Plain insanity. And the mental twist is at work here, driving him against his will into the whiskey in search of relief to the intenable, unbearable pain of not drinking and then he puts the whiskey in his system and he triggers the allergy of the body, as was said, and it's insane. He poured another one, didn't seem to bother me, so I tried another and another. And when we go back and we see the repetition, remember Bill and Bill's story. He is walking into a cafe to make a, a telephone call on page six. He walks into the bar to, or excuse me, the cafe to make a call, and then all of a sudden he's beating on the bar, asking himself how it happened. As the whiskey rose to Bill's head, he told himself he might—he <clears throat> excuse me—he would manage better next time. He might as well time. get good and drunk then, and he did. So we see the repetition, and with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. Larry K. It's your turn, and then it'll be Rita K. Good morning, Monica. Um, it's Larry Kay, Recovered Compulsive Reader from Chicago. Thanks for your service. You know, one, one thing that strikes me when I read this is, um, you know, that, again, as Harlan said, that, uh, you know, this guy was, was sober. And one of the things that, you know, that, that Bill Wilson later talked about in the Grapevine, in grape, uh, grapevine um, was something, and this was in 1958, so it was, it was a number of years. Bill had been sober and had been, obviously very involved in AA. He talked about the next frontier within AA as being emotional sobriety. See, when I read this, and who knows for sure, but it certainly seems to me that this was a guy 
who his emotional sobriety was not in a good place. And, and Bill Wilson said that in this, in this grapevine, he said that many, you know, many old timers who had put, you know, AA's booze cure to the test here and they were successful, they, they found that they often lacked emotional sobriety. And he thought that perhaps that would be the next, uh, the next frontier, the next spearhead for the next major development in AA. And sometimes I feel that way too, where there is something about emotional sobriety because he, he went on to say, Bill did, suddenly I realized what the matter was. My basic flaw had always been dependence, almost absolute dependence on people um, or circumstances to supply me with prestige, security, and the like. Failing to get these, these things, according to my perf- uh, perfectionistic dreams and specifications, I had fought for them. And when defeat came, so did my depression. See, Bill battled depression, anxiety. I wonder with this particular gentleman if, if there's something called emotional sobriety that was, you know, that was lacking here. You know, because sometimes we, we talk just in terms of the allergy of the body, the obsession of the mind, and most certainly that is, that is I identify in with those things. But I think part of the spiritual evolution for each of us is an emotional sobriety. We do talk about emotions. Human beings do experience emotions. And it is only for me personally, and I only speak for me, through this spiritual connection every day and doing the work within the steps that I am brought into an, an alignment, some sort of alignment with the higher power of my own understanding where I can withstand the low spots ahead with humility and with acceptance and with love. I wonder if this gentleman couldn't in that moment because maybe like you, I've experienced a lot of highs and lows and a lot of circumstances and none of them have led me to pick up. Only by the grace of God, I believe, and maintain that emotional sobriety that's only found through these steps in this work every day, I think that we can maintain that. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Rita Kay, it's your turn, and then it'll be Melissa C. Thank you, Monica. Good morning. This is Rita Kay, a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Kansas. You know, uh, um, the thing is, that the thing that I see in these two paragraphs, or at least in the first one especially, the thoughts before relapse, you know, um, and the three, the two words, you know, really come to mind, pay attention. Pay attention to what's going on with me. Pay attention to ourselves. Pay attention to those thoughts. Pay attention to the hunger. You know, I mean, th- this was something that was very basic. On the way, I felt hungry, and that's a very basic feeling, and it's a very, uh, it's a physical thing, and it is legitimate. Sometimes, as as compulsive overeaters, we just wait too long to eat. Sometimes it's just that basic, you know. And so, pay attention to what's going on with you, with yourself, with within yourself. You know, one thing about it: all action is born in thought. You know, these things don't just come up. All action is born in thought. And so, you know, those uh, those thoughts before relapse, I felt irritated. I had a few words with my boss, but nothing serious, but a few words with the boss that was over him, over a firm that he used to own. You know, so all of these things are very legitimate things, but 
He wasn't paying attention. I think Craig, Craig called it the mental blank spot. That's a perfect term. So what I say to myself, pay attention. You know, when I'm hungry and I just had lunch, I stop and I think, wait, pay attention. What's going on? And stuff like that sneaks up on us, you know, when we're not paying attention. And, you know, as someone who is, it's someone who was, is working a program and who's in recovery. One thing that I'm learning from these 164 pages is to don't miss it, pay attention. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Rita Kay. Melissa C., it's your turn, and then it'll be Vasa O. Hi. Good morning, Monica. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. It's Melissa C., recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, so... A few things jumped out at me. One is um, how skilled the disease um, makes us at lying. That um, the lie, you know, that's created that gets this guy to, you know, to first of all say that he's just irritated, and then the lie that gets him in a in a bar. Like you can call it whatever you want, but it was a bar, and the lie that gets him to say that. Um, you know, a little bit in the milk, it, it won't harm him because he's eaten. Um, you know, all of that, I've told myself countless lies, you know, that I knew I would believe because, you know, this disease, the problem of it exists in my mind, and my mind um, knows the exact lie to tell my mind. You know, all I have to do is convince the person I'm trying to convince, Um that's really easy. And, you know, and the other thing that I really get from this is, um, for me, in huge danger is irritation, you know, and and I'm told, like, anger, you know, it's the dubious luxury of normal men. And while I'm human, you know, I can have human emotion like everybody, um, I'm an addict, and I can't afford to hang out in irritation. So, you know, if, if... if we were going to help him before he'd pick up, you know, it's okay, let's let's look at this. You know, what's your selfishness? You know, what is it that you feel you deserve? And and I could speak for myself, you know, when I'm irritated at the boss, it's because I my selfish view is I want it my way. I want my workplace to um, be, you know, perfect for me. And um, and what's the lie I'm telling myself? A whole bunch of them. You know, it's not fair. I think about him. His lie was probably he deserved to have the business, and 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 it wasn't his fault. And how dare this happen to him? And you know, by the time you're in that bar eating the sandwich, um, you're already out there. So I know when I'm irritated, um, I have to rely on other people. I cannot do it in my head. And I know some people have, you know, maybe their processes, they can handle their, their irritation and go straight to God. I can't. I need other people. I need other people to point out the truth because I am still an addict and I can still lie to myself. And um, thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Vasa O. It's your turn. Thank you. Thank you, Monica, for your service. I'm Vasa. Grateful. Recovered compulsive overeater calling from Florida, and I can identify with these two paragraphs. I never stopped to think why I ate, never did. 
to connect, you know, those emotions with the, the food addiction, with the disease, the allergy, because I didn't know what I did not know. And uh, I did experiment at, uh, with foods for 25 years uh, of my life before I came to Overeaters Anonymous. It's not like I didn't. Oh, my goodness, everything that I hear at this meeting, I did those things. There were a couple more things I wanted to do, but I was too afraid. But it is by the grace of God. I haven't been in a relapse since I came to my first meetings of, meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. I, you know, I have lost hope. You know, this was my hope coming to OA was such a good news, you know. I found out I had a disease. I didn't know it was a disease, a di- uh, eating disorder, compulsive overeating. I was in it, but I didn't know what it was. So there was a name for it, thank God. I had the allergy. I didn't know I, was a, I had the allergy. I had the twisted mind and, and mental obsession. I didn't know. I just did what I knew. I didn't know any different. But the pain was stronger than, than the, the, being into the food addiction. I took this program so seriously. I did step one, two, and three. I, was, I had the gift of, of desperation. It's vassal, live or die, or you're going to be a very sick woman. I had, seen, I had seen people in my family, you know, struggling with food, alcohol, drugs, nicotine, and I did some of those things. I smoked, you know, for a while. Thank God I put that away a long time ago, and I turned to the food even more than when I put the cigarettes down. So, um, again, for me, it's by the grace of God, I did put the food down. I wish I could tell you it was really easy. No, it wasn't easy. But when the temptation came back, when the mental obsess- obsession came, I learned to use the steps the tools, my higher power. I needed to find a power greater than myself to help me, and I started using that higher power. Whether it was there or not, I did it anyways till it became gradually real, more, more real in my life. And I could trust God. He was taking care of me with the food, and I could gra- gradually trust God in other areas of my life. So, yeah, put the food down for me, and then I jumped into step four. I didn't want to do step four. I was abstinent. Why would I want to go Uh, there? You know, I'll wrap it up. Why would I want to go there? But I heard we had to work the steps the way they were laid out. If not, I'd go back into the food, and I didn't want to. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Vasa O. And for those who may have come on a little later, we are on page 36. We are discussing the first two paragraphs on page 36 that he got drunk again. And who else would like to share this morning? Lori B. Michelle. I am having difficulty. Okay, I think I heard a Michelle. Lori R. Nessa. Lori W. Lori. Barbara. Leslie. Leslie. All right, let's. This is what I've got. I'm hearing a lot of distortion, and I don't know if it's me. Uh, I heard, I think, a Michelle, Nessa R, Lori, I didn't get your last initial, Barbara E, w. and Leslie. Lori, Lori C. W. 
Laura, Laura, Laura T. Laura I think there's two of us. Are there two of you? Yes. <laughs> All right. Laura W. and Laura T. I got you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Michelle, give us your last initial, please. You're up, and then Nessa R. Hi, Monica. Thanks for your service. This is Michelle L. in Delaware, recovering compulsive overeater. Grateful to be on the line this morning. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you well. Oh, great. Okay. I really needed to chime in on this one because... Boy, can I relate to Jim's story. In fact, it happened to me this past weekend. After 10 months of abstinence, um, I had a spat with my daughter on Saturday. It was minor. Um, And I hadn't taken care of another emotional issue earlier in the day. And I picked up a banana. I ate a banana after about a half an hour after I'd already eaten my lunch. And I felt hungry all of a sudden after the sight I had, you know, just after a few words. And um, someone mentioned emotional sobriety. I definitely was not in that place of emotional sobriety. And that banana just led to some more food. And at first it was quote-unquote abstinent food, but then it uh, was some chocolate-covered peanuts. Boy, did they take me down quick. They're poison to me. And I'm okay with that today because yesterday was day one of abstinence again, and it was a deeper understanding of step one. And the fact that when I get into the ring with the food, it is going to dominate me every time. That is what happened. That was my experience again. So I needed this reminder. Um, it's okay today. I'm grateful this morning that I didn't wake up with a food hangover this morning. What an amazing miracle that is. And that I get the chance to be on the line and to understand again my powerlessness and that I really can't do a middle-of-the-road solution. So I'm all in today. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you, Michelle L. Nessa R., it's your turn, and then it'll be Lori W. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, What always strikes me when I read this story is the word suddenly, because based on my experience, that that word is really just a smokescreen, because most dangers don't happen suddenly. I, none of my dangers ever did. You know, there was always a great degree of premeditation, even if I didn't want to admit it to myself or to others. You know, I was never attacked by a piece of cheesecake shoving itself uh, down my throat. Um, There was always something. I mean, at the very least, at the very least, I had to um, go buy it, open the package, put my hand in it, and bring it to my mouth. I mean, just just, just, just four steps. And we see here in the story of Jim, you know, he woke up restless, irritable, and discontented. And instead of, you know, working the steps to get to the bottom of it, to see how he has been 
you know, selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, and and fearful. You know, he decides to have a fight with his boss. You know, um, so he's in a collision course with everything and everyone. And then he has the brilliant idea that he's going to find a customer for a car in the country, in a restaurant, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, this is the thirties probably. I don't know where people bought cars, uh, but I doubted that that's um, where people looking for a car would go. But anyhow, all these little decisions that he made along the way, you know, those seemingly unimportant, seemingly unrelated decisions that he made were actually part of his plan to get drunk, whether he wanted to admit it or not. And so, you know, what this tells me, um, you know, we go back to uh, the um, uh, page 25 where it says, if you were as seriously alcoholic as we were, you had the two alternatives to go on to the bitter end or to accept spiritual help. And, you know, we know what choice he made. I mean, that choice we make every single day, every single moment of the day um, when we decide to uh, go on self-will, as has been um, shared previously um, today already, um, or we decide to pick up the spiritual toolkit later our feet. Uh, if he had worked the steps right away, none of this would have happened, but he chose differently. It wasn't suddenly. Um, it was premeditated. And um, it just tells me that I always have to be on my toes, that I have to be aware of what's going on, and I have to be working my steps constantly if I want to keep the recovery that I have. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Nessa R. Laurie W., it's your turn, and then it'll be Laurie T. Thank you, Monica. Good morning, my fellows. Um, This is Laurie W., compulsive overeater in Atlanta, Georgia. And I love this passage because it reminds me um, of my emotional instability. I like to focus my program and my mind on the food and my pant size and, um, you know, um, those type things. But it reminds me that I'm also emotionally um, unstable. And um, I have to tie it all together. The spiritual aspect of this program is very important. And I have to, I've always thought that I don't make good choices. I I make poor decisions. I've made lots of poor decisions in my life. Um, I'm able to laugh over some of them now, but um, there were some tragic choices that I've made. And I have not been feeling like I could make good choices, like I'm capable of making good choices. And um, a friend of mine, she's not in program, but she said to me the other day, Lori, you don't need to change. You just need to grow. And that was everything to me because I do have what God has placed in me. I do have the ability to make good choices, but my emotions cloud those abilities. And then the food clouds the abilities for the emotions. And it's just a a terrible uh, cyclic process. And so in order for me to be able to get to my emotions and get them healthy, I got to get out the food. In order to get out the food, I have to admit that I'm powerless over it. And I do have to be careful about my emotions creeping in. I do have to be very, very careful about anger and resentment and bitterness and even hunger. As some one of my fellows said earlier, even hunger, I have to be careful of that slipping in. Jim was hungry. Um, a lot of times when we're hungry, you know, it could be a blood 
blood issue, blood sugar level issue. It could be an emotional issue. It could be physical. It could just be that I am hungry. But I have to be so very careful of my emotions. And I'm so glad that this passage made it into the book to remind me to do an emotional checkup before I do anything. Uh, on the special share yesterday, uh, uh, Lynn hammered in that we need to pause when agitated or doubtful. And so this is just a reminder that Jim was moving forward. Even when he paused, he was thinking about spinning his wheels and how he could get an ounce of whiskey in his milk. But I need to pause. I need to talk to God. And then I need to move forward. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Laurie W. Laurie T., it's your turn, and then it'll be Barbara E. Thank you. Thank you so much, and thank you for sorting out the, the confusion there with my counterpart. Um, I really, I really, everybody likes Jim, it's true. I like him, but I guess um, more so I, I can relate to him so much. So here's what I think happened to Jim. So I think uh, we asked him to tell him the story, and he says he felt irritated that he had to be a salesman for concerning one's own. And to me, it's like, well, you inherited it. So one, you didn't work for it. And then you lost it. So your pride got away. Because this is me. This is exactly what happens. And then if he had words with the boss, nothing serious, unlikely it probably was serious. Now, I think for Jim, he probably got dinged for having low sales because immediately afterwards, he's going to go out to the country and find a prospect. And then when he gets to the bar, he's going to look for a prospect. So I think the boss said, look, buddy, your sales are low. So, of course, he might be hurt and he might be worried. I don't know these things. I just know this is how... I would take it. And then a couple other things. He's been going to this place regularly, so he's been playing with fire. Now, the people who worked with him, this is the sixth time. I don't think he told them. He said, hey, you guys, I know you're telling me about alcoholism. You told me the solution. And I've been going to this bar regularly all the time, not having a drink. What do you think of that? I don't think so. And so I think it speaks to me about the dishonesty or honesty, you know, we have with our sponsors. And then um, I also, for me, what came in was, this happened to me before. I lost all my weight. I'm strutting around like I'm so hot. Oh, you know, bring it on. I, of course, I can go to the party. Of course, I can go out to dinner. I look so good. I'm down to this size. So this guy's in the bar sober, and probably all of his buddies know it because he's been going there. And then what happens? just like it says on that chapter that made me cry the first time I read it, is that they retaliate against us because we step on their toes. He probably was in there bragging to these other guys who can't get sober, and guess what? They're all happy to see him take this drink. Probably the bartender says, yeah, just have one. He's probably been going there with his big, beautiful, sober hat on, and I'm not saying he did. I'm saying I would, <laughs> and I have. And then what happened was, I broke. The boss is mad. I'm, I might lose the job. I'm already humiliated. I can't find the prospect. And I'm going in here to manipulate one of my friends anyways, probably one of these customers, one of my people that I know. I'm going to say, hey, hey buddy, don't you need a car? So I'm being manipulative. I'm resentful. I'm full of pride. I'm totally dishonest. Hey, there's no other option. <laughs> I need a fork, and I need one quick. And so I just can relate to this guy so well. But thank God you know, that there's more to the story, there's more to the book, and there's more to uh, my story, and there's more to me uh, for just today. I'm grateful to be here in this meeting and be able to talk about my buddy, Jim. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Laurie T. Barbara E., you're up. Excuse me, and then it'll be Leslie W. 
Good morning. Did you say Barbara E. and then Leslie? I did say Barbara E. You're up. Okay, great. Thank you so much, and I appreciate your service. I don't make for myself too much of the fact that he was working on Tuesday. Maybe he was working on Monday, but that wasn't the issue in the story. But for me, he did have words with his boss. He had lost the position as boss, and now he was merely working for him. He was irritated. Um, He was not in a good frame of mind. He may not have realized it, but I do believe that it was premeditated, that he went into the bar with the thought of, "Mm, I may have a drink. Yeah, there may be someone to buy a car from, but I'm going to have a drink. And I can totally relate to that because His forgetter was on. He forgot about the consequences of what would happen if he did it. He forgot. And for me, when I was getting that irritable, tired, picked upon, victimized feeling, I would go to the bakery. I would go to Duncan. I would go to Burger King, all places on the way home from work, and self-medicate, calm myself down totally forgetting what the consequences would be. And when I finally did realize what the consequences were, I was so angry at myself that I did what any self-respecting compulsive overeater would do. I went out and ate more and more, and I couldn't stop myself. That allergy and compulsion had grabbed me, and there was no way I was going to come out. I did the one, two, three walk for many years. Okay, I believed, but I never took the action. Belief and prayer without action for me was meaningless. I had to take every one of the steps. That's what I had to do, and I had to take it with a responsible, strict, but loving guide who kept me out of the quicksand and kept me focusing on my character liabilities and what I could do to turn my liabilities into assets. And I had to reach out to other people. So important. When I was feeling irritable or discontent, before I picked up that first alcoholic food of my choice, make a phone call, give myself some wiggle room, Maybe I'll still do it, but maybe that minimal amount of time, that time will enable me to think sanely. It's a program of work. Praying for it is not enough for me. I have to pray. I have to work. I'm like that duck who looks so serene on top of the water, but is pedaling like crazy. So we'll all pedal along today like ducks in the water. Have a blessed day. I pass. Thank you, Barbara E. Leslie W., it's your turn. Thank you, Monica. This is Leslie W. Um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Tennessee. Suddenly the thought crossed my mind. So for the newcomers out there, Um, who may be hearing this wondering what the heck whiskey and milk has anything to do with compulsively overeating. Let me describe my own experience um, with that. Um, For me, it looked like 
peanut butter is a binge food of mine. I can't have it, period. Um, but <laughs> before I worked through all the steps um, and became recovered um, through this program, you know, I would play around with that peanut butter and I would say, well, if I could put some peanut butter on a gluten-free waffle, then um, then it'll be okay. Um, or let me let me try some of this all-natural almond butter with evaporated cane syrup. You know, that'll do it. That won't hurt me. Let me let me try this dark chocolate instead of milk chocolate because dark chocolate's better for you. Or better yet, my personal favorite, let me eat this bowl of cereal at one o'clock in the morning because nobody else is around to see me do it so it doesn't count. So those were, you know, the things that I used to do. And and I it honestly made sense to me at the time. And personally, you know, when I look at this story, it doesn't really matter what kind of words that he had with the boss. Because you know what? If he's only taking steps one, two, three, or with his kids or with his wife or whoever, or with the dog, if he's only taking steps one, two, three, and he, he has not cleaned house, he has not made amends, it's only a matter of time. If you're, if you're a real compulsive overeater like me, it's only a matter of time before you collide with somebody or something. And eating will be your best idea. Eating will be, like another fellow says, like a step up from the way that you feel. So rest assured, you know, that whether the sun is shining or whether you've had words with the boss, you know, it, the most important thing here is to work these steps so that you can have a spiritual awakening so that so that your your brain will be cleared. And not only will your brain be cleared, but you'll you'll look at those things about yourself, which those 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 we get down to the causes. We have to get down to those root causes and conditions that cause it that, that make us eat. We have to look at that, and we have to take responsibility for ourselves and for our actions, and 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 that's how that's how we get well. That's how we get well, and that's how these ideas, <clears throat> these crazy ideas that used to dominate our head, will leave us. Time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Leslie W. Okay, we've got less than five minutes, so two, two and a half minute shares, and who would like to share? My Susan in Florida. Susan? Yes. Carmela G. from New York. And Carmela. All right. Susan, you're up, and then Carmela. Thank you. Hi, this is Susan S.I. in Florida. I'm so glad I'm on the phone this morning. Uh, I'm listening to all these shares, and I can so relate and identify with everything everybody says. You know, when the last lady who spoke said about about Jim being angry with his boss, it didn't have to be his boss. My boss it had to be my sister, my brother, my friend, the grocery store clerk, whomever, the doctors. I mean, if I build up a resentment, it's going to fester in my head all day long. Unless, unless I go ahead and take care of it with the 12 steps. It's imperative that I find out what the causes, what the exact nature of this resentment was, 
and then talk to God. I don't have to go out there and put myself in a place that I shouldn't be. He went to a bar. I would have went to an ice cream store. Um, it's just amazing if I don't have conscious contact with a power outside of myself to help me. And I'm online on a, uh, one or two of the uh, sites for compulsive overeating. And a girl said yesterday, she says, what do I do? I'm in relapse. And I go, first is get on your knees. And of course, in the bar, he's not getting on his knees. Get the sponsor, make a phone call, start eating on your food plan again. And unless I have very conscious contact to do what God wants me to do, I am going to be back in the food. And I'm grateful I learned this in OA, and especially in this big book, Vision for You study. Thank you. Done. Thank you, Susan. Carmela G., it's your turn. you got three minutes. Okay, this is Carmela G. from New York. <clears throat> Jim is very much like all of us, no matter what our substance is, whether it's alcohol and milk or um, whatever our food or drug of choice is. The problem was in his head, in his ego. We all have such huge egos. The fact that we get offended by other people, how dare they do that to me? And then we go to bed and we let that fester. And in the morning, if we don't make our connection with our higher power, if I get up, jump up, and do not connect and realize where my power source is coming from, that ego gets inflated. It's now a bruised ego. I have to soothe it. The only thing I want to soothe it with is a substance. Somebody in my family did something that I didn't like. They had the nerve to use their free will and have their choice or say something to me that offended me. I have to go back to that substance. If I'm not in the steps and if I'm not surrendering every day and allowing my higher power to take control and direct my actions and do the next best thing for me, then I'm bound to pick up. I need to soothe myself. And the soothing comes when we're in disease from a substance. When we're in program, the soothing comes from knowing how loved we are by a perfect being. A perfect being loves us with all our defects loves us and wants us to be happy. And that's the way we need to stay every day to stay in the sunlight of the spirit. So we have to plug in. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Carmela G. And we have come to the end of our meeting so quickly once again. And thank you to everyone who has shared. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing here. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And before I forget, the share ID for today's meeting here, Monday, March 12th, 7 a.m., is 11,151, 
1-800-273-8851. And with that, I am going to ask Carmela G. if she will read for us, please, from her vision for you. Thank you, Monica. This is Carmela G. from New York. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.